Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome to another edition of 30 with Murdy. On this episode, I'll look at this year's Hall of Fame class from a little different perspective. First of all, congratulations to Mariano Rivera, Mike Messina, Edgar Martinez, and Roy Halliday. Also to Veterans Committee selections Lee Smith and Harold Baines. Now, there is some controversy over the selection of some of these men. That's inevitable, it seems, with public debate over the election process. But that's a different subject and doesn't change the fact that all these men will share a stage in Cooperstown in July and then will be a part of the Hall of Fame forever. They've earned the respect that comes with that rather than belittling of their careers that appear mostly for the sake of argument. What stood out to me about this year's class is that it features heavily the specialty part of the game that came about over the last 40 to 50 years. Closer and designated hitter are two positions that were created out of the game's evolution. One of them was legislated, the DH back in 1973, American League only. While there are still teams that prefer to fill that lineup spot with different players over a season, the teams that have consistently received the best production from the DH spot are the ones that employ one very good hitter in that role for the majority of the at-bats. Think David Ortiz with Boston, Victor Martinez with Detroit, and of course, Edgar Martinez, who has his name on the award that goes to the best DH every year as voted by the media. The closer, on the other hand, evolved out of strategy, not a rule change. It was limited for a while and eventually came to be part of the standard formula for every team, manager, and front office. You need to have a closer. The best ones started to get paid like it, and now the best of the best are getting plaques in Cooperstown. So with two closers and two designated hitters being inducted this summer, here are two conversations about them. In this episode, I share with you two separate discussions. Coming up, I'll talk about the DH with the first man ever to come up to the plate as a DH back in 1973, former Yankee Ron Bloomberg. But we begin with some talk about Mariano Rivera, Lee Smith, and the appreciation for the closer with John Franco, who racked up 424 saves for the Reds and the Mets in a 20-year career. Franco ranks fifth on the all-time saves list and is first among left-handers. Here is part one of this week's episode, The Closer Discussion with Johnny Franco. Johnny, first thing I want to ask you about is what your thoughts were when you saw I mean, I knew you knew Mariano was going into the Hall of Fame. He gets 100%, and now you get to look back on his career and everything that it meant. What did it mean to you as a guy who shared the position and watching him across town when you saw and heard all the things about Mariano this week? Well, I was just so happy for him. I mean, it was a, it's a no-brainer that uh, he would you know go in and, and add 100% is also a no-brainer. I mean, he was the best of the best. Uh, this should be a, he should be up there on Mount Rushmore with all the rest of the best, but... Uh, you know, he's the best relief pitcher ever. What he accomplished uh, during the season, and obviously during the playoffs and World Series, I don't think will ever happen again. And 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 just the person that he is, you know, off the field, how charitable he is, always smiling and always respectful for everyone. And 
you know, me being across town with the Mets and being in the same position, uh, I could respect uh, what he did and how he did it. And, of course, it's a, it's a tough position, and he's done it so long and consistently so long that, uh, you know, he deserves it. Absolutely. Johnny, what did you like about the way he did his job that maybe the rest of us don't see or pay attention to? I mean, you know the routine. You know about coming in into tough situations in the ninth inning, big crowds, and and trying to get out some of the best hitters. You know, what we see is one thing. What you see is maybe something else. What what did you pick up from what he did and how he did it? Well, I, I, I saw a couple of things. One, he's, he's emotional. Uh, he's not emotional. He's had the same. You wouldn't know if he was struck out three guys or gave up three home runs. His facial expressions are the same. He stood, stood within himself all the time. The thing that impressed me the most was his location and his consistency and throw that cutter in and hitting his spots in and out, day in and day out. You know, obviously, with every once in a while, he might have a bad game. And I remember couple years ago, I don't know how long back it was, but they uh, he blew maybe two or three games, and right away they started thinking that he was done. You know, as a reliever, you're going to have those hiccups along the way, but Mariano, uh, he didn't have too many hiccups uh, in his career, and I was just impressed the way he handled himself on the field, off the field, during high-pressure situations, uh, just stayed even-keeled and didn't get too high, didn't get too low, and then when the end result was, when you win the World Series, you see all that... Uh, exhaustion come out of him and then he could just relax a little bit but he was he was a constant professional uh his mannerisms were always the same and he carried himself on the field with a, a, an unbelievable presence uh and you know when opposing hitters saw him come in uh, they weren't too happy yeah and i th- and i think there's something that those of us watching the games and i think the guys in his own dugout appreciated and i and i hope you'll understand what i'm getting at here but the clean ninth inning and I, he had some ridiculous number of one, two, three saves in the ninth inning. You know, all, every closer has a high wire act to deal with, and you had you, you had your share of them. How impressive was it to watch a guy who can come in and not have to deal with that as often as the rest of you guys did? It was very impressive. I mean, like you said, you know, I've had my share. Uh, I wish I had. I wish I had his formula. How he? <laughs> I wish he bottled that so I could steal it from him. But uh, uh, he was just, uh, you know, coming in one, two, three made it look so easy. And the thing that I, I am most impressed about him, his pitch count. He would always keep his pitch count low. You know, even if he struck out three guys in the inning, his pitch count might be eleven pitches, twelve pitches, uh, which was. You know, unheard of, uh, and he might have an inning where he gave up three ground balls on the, on that nasty cutter. So uh, that's you know the thing I'm impressed about. He really didn't have too many hiccups in the ninth inning. He made it look so easy. And uh, you know, as a relief pitcher, as someone who who's done the job that he has done, I was very very impressed uh, over the years watching him do it day in and day out, and how easy he made it look. Yeah, what were the things you guys talked about when you guys were able to get together about your craft and how you did it? Well, I just basically, you know, stay, basically say, hey, you're doing a great job. You know, stay healthy. You know, I used to tell him that Cutter's nasty. I remember when he, his last year with the Yankees, uh, I caught the the first pitch from him on his last uh, mm-hmm. his last day at City Field, and I went out there and I shook his hand. And I said, hey, man, uh, I love what you did. I love what you do. And you are the best. And uh, he just had a big smile and said, thanks, I appreciate it. But, uh, you know, we were just talking about, uh, you know, how tough the job was. And sometimes, you know, I, I always compare the relief pitchers, uh, closers, as field goal kickers. 
when you do your job, everybody says it's great, but when you miss that one field goal or you miss or you blow that save, that's the one they always remember. So uh, he didn't have too many missed field goals. Yeah, but but we remember the one those. You know, those it's funny because I remember a few years ago somebody at MLB was putting together a special and they asked me about his milestone saves and they started asking me questions about what I remembered about numbers 200, 300, 400. I couldn't remember a thing. I mean, they were all pretty much business-like, but you remember the the uh, the blown ones because some of them came in big spots and they were so rare that they stood out. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's uh I always say to myself, even with myself in my, my own career, that uh, yeah, yeah, I remember the, the ones that you blow, but you don't remember the ones that you save. So uh, I always always say there's always more good than bad, and, and Mariano had so much good that you can't remember the bad too much. <laughs> yeah. There's, um, there's another closer who's going to get to go into the Hall of Fame this summer, too, Lee Smith. You competed against him for a long time. What do you think seeing him get his due with the committee that elected him back in December? I'm so happy for him, and I think Lee Smith should have been in a long time ago. You know, uh, at our jobs, what we did, uh, the game, at the at the time that we, we played, the game became a specialty where the closers came in. <clears throat> and for us closers to be, I don't want to say punished, but not being recognized as a specialty position, because uh, the, the managers really relied on, on that closer at the end of the game. And I think that, you know, Lee Smith should have been brought in and, and being elected a long time ago, and I'm so happy for him. He's such a great guy. He had a great career. Uh, I competed against him, saw him a number of times. And who knows, maybe that'll open the door for guys like myself and Billy Wagner later on down the road. Yeah, there's some love going for closers now um, with these two guys. You know, it's a little unfair with Mariano because it's like, you know, that's like electing Babe Ruth to the Hall of Fame. You know, not, not everybody <laughs> exactly. is going to measure up to that standard. So, what is the standard, or what should it be? I mean, you know, Mariano had everything going for him. He compiled saves, and he won championships. Trevor Hoffman had a ridiculous number of saves. Lee Smith had a had a, a huge number and was the, the career leader for a very long time. Uh, you have the other guys from a different era, like Suter and Fingers and Gossage, who uh, they have some championships to their name, too, and a, you know, a different type of compiling of saves. What You know, there aren't that many of you guys... And it is a real position, Johnny, and right. it's being recognized that way. But how do you how do you find that best of the best group? Well, I feel that you know, just like with uh, with with hitters, you know, five hundred home runs, three thousand hits, you know, that was the benchmark, and and, and pitchers, you know, three hundred wins or uh, you know, five or six Cy Youngs or whatever. Uh, yeah, as a as a reliever, I think you know, four hundred saves, probably three hundred fifty saves, somewhere along that line would would be considered, uh, uh, you know, Hall of Fame status. I mean, year after year that you do it because uh, it, it's pretty tough to do. And when you have a benchmark like that, uh, it, it, it uh, you know, sets a goal for, uh, for, for, the, for the players itself. I mean, you know, I got 424 saves and I played 20-something years. I mean, if you look at Phil Negro and Don Sutton, they have 300 wins and they played over 20, 20 years and, uh, you know, they got into the Hall of Fame in that way. You know, they compiled the, combined their numbers over the years. So I'm just thinking somewhere between 350, 400 uh, that would be a benchmark and, and to be considered. Billy Wagner hasn't gotten a lot of support. Part of it's the crowded ballot, but also part of it's just this, you know, I think this idea that we're talking about of, of where closers fall. Um, you know, I know you got to see Billy up close a, a little bit too. I mean, what, what did you like about him and, and his candidacy? 
I mean, you talk about Billy. I mean, I, I mean, just go back to myself. I, I, I didn't even get to stay on the ballot. Yeah. Year. I had 4.8%. Yep. So I didn't even get uh, to stay on the ballot for a year. But Billy, I think Billy's numbers are pretty up there with the top of the top. I mean, his strikeout ratio, his saves, uh, he's maybe two or three behind me or one or two behind me, something like that. Uh, he was very impressive. But then again, you know, I don't know how many – Lee Smith hasn't won too many championships, and Billy hasn't been on too many championship teams, and I haven't been on too many championship teams. So most of the guys that are in there, except for Trevor, I believe, uh, most yep. of them have World Series appearances or World Series championships. So maybe that's a benchmark that they're, they're looking at also. But Billy impressed me. You know, he's a little guy like me, but he threw 96 to 98, and he was consistent year in, year out also. Yeah, and, and I think part of it I also tend to think of is what you mentioned earlier. It's like the, the field goal kicker mentality. You know, you don't get a lot of credit for doing your job in your position. You know, it's the, the game, there, there's already a lead when you come in, and your job is to just finish it out. And it's harder than it sounds, but when you don't do your job is when you get noticed. Yeah, and I, I've seen a lot of guys over the years, you know, the 20-plus years that i played, have come in the league and have you know one or two great years who put up the numbers, but the consistency over the years, the, the seven to ten to fifteen years, it, it's uh, you don't see that anymore. And when we played, guys like Mariano and Lee Smith, myself, and Billy Wagner, and Trevor Hoffman, consistently year in and year out, we put up those thirty plus saves. Where now you don't see it as much guys playing you know ten, twelve years doing that. So uh, you know, it is what it is, and you you just gotta. Hopefully down the road, uh, uh, things will get better. Yeah, you know, I, I like that point you made because I, I think a lot of people around baseball, and it's true. Look at say, look at it at a bullpen and say, you know, you can get, you can you can pick a, a pitcher in a bullpen and have almost anybody get thirty saves during the course of a season. You know, good major league pitcher because of the way the game's set up. But the the problem is finding a guy to do it for five or eight or 10 years. That's where it becomes hard. And, you know, I don't know that you can really foresee this, but, you know, you, you've you broken this, you know, the ceiling a little bit here. Guys are starting to get in. The DHs are starting to get some love. You know, it's been 40, 50 Absolutely. years for your specialty positions in the game, and it's about time they're represented. So do you feel like there's, you know, like you said, you're off the ballot, but, you know, whether another one of these committees or something like that, you might get a little more uh, opportunity to just have your career looked at. Do you do you feel like it's it's getting better, or are we just recognizing, hey, these handful of guys were far and above better than anybody else? I think it's getting better. I think it's getting better, and hopefully you get recognized. Look, you got the you got starting pitches who have 300 wins. You have hitters who have 500, 700, whatever home runs in there. You have uh, guys who have over 3,000 hits, 3,500 hits. You have closers. Mariano's got 600 saves. He's the all-time number one closer for right-handers. I'm the all-time closer for left-handers, and I'm not in there. So something's not right here. But it is what it is. I can't, you know, I'm, you, know you scratch your head. But I think finally it's being recognized, specialty guys, you know, like Edgar Martinez, great, great hitter. I'm so glad that he got in because it, it, you know, we were put in that position by our managers and by baseball. And at the time, you know, the DH, and at the time, you know, Tony La Russa, he's the one that started all this with using Eckersley one in that at a time. And everybody just, you know, piggybacked on him and said, hey, this looks like a pretty damn good idea. And they got their best uh, relief pitcher at the end of the game to come in and be their closer. And that's how it all started. So 
for us to not to be recognized just because we're doing our job and that's what we're doing, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a shame sometimes. Yeah, and Larusa is in the Hall of Fame too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and Joe Torre's probably in the Hall of Fame because he had Mariano Rivera, and I think he'd be the first one to admit that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. When you got a guy like him finishing up your games, you're not going to lose too many games. And now for a discussion on the designated hitter with the first one ever, former Yankee Ron Blumberg. He's the first one only by chance, really. On opening day, 1973, Yankees-Red Sox at Fenway Park was the first game on the American League schedule. Everything else started later. And the top of the first, Louis Tiant loaded the bases with two outs to bring the sixth hitter in the order up in that first inning. Blumberg walked to drive in a run, and in a game the Yankees lost 15-5, to Blumberg went 1-3 for three and ended up with his bat in the Hall of Fame. With Edgar Martinez and Harold Baines being elected into the Hall this year, here's a conversation with the first DH, Ron Blumberg. Apologies for the audio quality here. I hope you'll stick with it to hear Ronnie's story. Ronnie, I just want to start with you and just ask what you think when you look at Edgar Martinez and Harold Baines and the fact that two designated hitters are going to go into the Hall of Fame this year. Well, you know, 45 years ago, nobody ever thought that the DH was even a position player. Uh, everybody looked at it as basically a gimmick. And after the first year, you know, uh, I thought it was a gimmick. I never thought it was going to last. The more and more the years pass, you know, you have to start thinking this is going to end up like uh, uh, relief pitchers. Because uh, back in the day, they wouldn't even have a relief pitcher to go into the Hall of Fame because they thought that a relief pitcher wasn't a non-inning pitcher, so they looked at that as a head pitcher. But when Harold Baines went in and Edgar Martinez uh, went in, it really solidified uh, the position. Uh, you know, I've had you know quite a few uh, interviews about that, and you know we all joke about. It. You know, I mean, you and I over the years, you know, fifty uh, percent of the people love it, fifty percent of the people hate. It. And the National League will never adopt it. But I think now, because two of the DHs got in, and probably uh, a third with uh, uh, David Ortez, uh, he's assured to go in. So it's, uh, it's an everyday, uh, really an everyday uh, a position player. The National League's really going to have to think about this to adopt the rule because it's uh, it's an everyday position now. So it's it's been fun for the last 45 years, and now I'm a whole player. I'm not a half a player. I'm a whole player. <laughs> I like the idea that you know that they're getting some recognition now, but I think it's important to note also that. There are some players that are already in the Hall of Fame that have benefited by this. Paul Molitor probably doesn't get into the Hall of Fame if he doesn't if he's not allowed to DH for a number of years and get himself past 3,000 hits and then some. Uh, I look at guys like Dave Winfield and Eddie Murray who were terrific players, and I, I would think that they'd be Hall of Famers anyway. But being able to DH allowed him to stay around a little bit longer and pick up a couple of extra magic numbers 
uh, for their Hall of Fame case. So as much as they're getting their due now, I think they've probably uh, had a little bit of recognition earlier with those guys being able to lengthen their careers. Well, I totally agree with you, Swinney. You know, if you look at Reggie Jackson, it's the same way. So the DH is, uh, back when I played, it was uh, basically for the old broken-down players. The guys that we wanted to give uh, some at-bats to, for the, uh, or the, to bring uh, some excitement back to the American League because that's why they adopted it uh, because, you know, they wanted some more uh, offense to, to play. And now, if, if you look at uh, all these players now, you know, I mean, being a kid, it's not all that bad. Uh, you look at what the Yankees did last year. Uh, with uh, Stanton, you look at them, uh, what they have done with uh, uh, Aaron Judge a little bit, and Sanchez. There's a lot of different things you can do with the DH. When the National League, uh, they wanted to strategize. They wanted the pitchers to be able to go up there and to plug the ball. If you look at the National League now, and, you know, being in the National League down like I'm in now in Atlanta, and you watch the Braves, 90% of the uh, the, uh, the Braves pitchers can't even hit. They can't even bunt. And you watch the pitchers, you know, hit. They don't bunt. They take two bunts and they try to hit on runs. And that's what they do. So when the American League has to play the National in a game, I mean, it's it, to me, it, it's a joke. Uh, they had, you know, the players get injured. The knockout was one big thing where, you know, uh, uh, he had to hit, and he just didn't go one uh, uh, or hamstring thing. He pulled two up, and, you know, a few of the guys uh, pitched And then he was thrown into a DH. 
it really messed them up. So maybe one day, Eric Sanchez will be the full-time DH of the New York Yankees. And really, that's really not that bad. Where a guy like Eric Sanchez can hit 30 home runs and drive in on his RBI and hit your 280 or 290. That's the type of hitter he is. And he might use that. And that's a possibility. And that's, to me, that's a good possibility, eventually, if he doesn't uh, do real well in catching. What do you think back now, when you look back at that game, you mentioned that people thought it was a joke and it was a gimmick. The opening day, 1973, uh, Yankees are playing the Red Sox, and it's at Fenway Park. So you're batting in the top of the first. For, I want to ask you a couple of things. Uh, first of all, how'd you find out that you were going to be the DH that day? Was it just that morning when you went to see the lineup card? And then what, what did you react to? And take me back to that first inning of how it all came about, because I think really about of Luis Tion's wildness is the only thing that made you the answer to the trivia question, because he got two outs, he gave up a double and two walks, and that brought you were the sixth hitter in the lineup that day, yet you came up in the top of the first inning because of Tion's wildness. Tell me about everything in that atmosphere there. Well, the, the first uh, uh, question how did I find out about it? Uh, I had a hamstring tool in uh, spring training. And about uh, four days before we special great camp to go up to Boston, uh, Ralph Howell and Dick Howell and Elston Howell came up to me and asked me how was my hamstring. And, you know, back then, you know, I was coming off a pretty decent uh, season in 72. And, you know, I, I wanted to play. I mean, God would be, I mean, I'm, I'm here to play. So I told him I was okay to hear. And, you know, we had the DH down in spring training, and it was like, uh, uh, it, it was it was funny. You know, whoever wanted to be the DH, it's like, you know, you, 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 you're playing uh, a top water baseball. You're playing satellite baseball. You know, who wants to hit for the pitcher now? You know, I mean, it was like that. And, you know, Ralph put in different guys to be the DH. Uh, so I was, when I was down at spring training, I pulled a hamstring and he tipped this right hand to pitcher. Louis Tiaf is going to be pitching up in Boston. And can I hit? I said, yes, he's going to be the DH. So, you know, I get to Boston, come to the ballpark, look at the lineup part, and I saw my name on the lineup part, uh, uh, being the DH, uh, Batting six uh, in Fenway Park, but it, it's really funny that the pitcher that was pitching that day was by far the best hitting pitcher, uh, one of the best hitting pitchers uh, in the American League, by the name of Mel Stoudemire. Yeah, and uh, Mel came up to me, and he saw, you know, I mean, Mel was so used to uh, hitting his whole career, and he came up to me and said. In the world, you want to hit for me? Where you know, I'm almost a lifetime two fifty hitter. Whatever he said to me, whatever. And I said, I don't know, but like that. So we made a joke about it. Hmm. And uh, uh, so basically, uh, came to the ballpark, uh, got in the first inning. It was thirty degrees in Fenway Park. I'm freezing to death, taking batting practice. Uh, they would not let me take any building practice at first base because my hamstring. And I remember Elston Howard said, 
or just uh, stay warm, go go uh, to the pitch and sit down. And, you know, you know, you can wait for it. You know, it's freezing down there. <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, there's no room to move around it. I mean, there's no tunnel to run up to the clubhouse. Uh, so, I mean, he told me to sit down. So I'm sitting down next to Hauser and uh, Ellie, and, and, you know, the game started. Uh, they announced the lineup, uh, and they did DH for, well, they go up to the Yankees. Uh, they did the DH for the New York Yankees as well. Remember, and then they did, they did the DH to the Pater for the Pater. So we got to the first minute. Uh, so there was two outs. And I believe the guy, I think Nettles were in front of me. Yeah, and then when I got up, so there was a basic moment, and I walked. I walked through the 3-2 uh, pitch. And I went to first base. And so we used to play it, uh, being at first base. And I just waited for somebody to bring me my glove. And uh, Ellie said, what are you doing? I said, I'm waiting for my glove. He said, no, no, no. You come back to the bench and you sit down with me. I said, what do I do on the bench? Like that. He said, we watch the game until you get up to the back of So I'm freezing to death. And Bobby knows me. I don't know if you remember ever knew that Bobby always had a uh, hot water bottle that uh, when it was freezing outside, he always kept it uh, on the bench. And it was a hot, you know, I mean, he got playing in a field, and I got the hot water bottle, and, uh, you know, I'm holding it like that. I mean, this feels good, but, you know, the wind's blowing in, and it's 30 degrees outside, and I said, Ellie, I mean, I'm freezing down here. What else can I do? He said, well, because, uh, you know, down in Spring Canyon, you know, you can run in the outdoor and get yourself loose, and, you know, and, of course, you couldn't kind of get with people again. So, you know, I went up to the clubhouse, and uh, Vince, who was a clubhouse guy, uh, was, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting down in the uh, the clubhouse because, of course, we didn't have TV back then to watch the games. Uh, I was listening to the game on the radio for, like, two minutes. And, you know, a lot of the guys were not playing, went into the clubhouse, it's, what am I doing? I said, I'm sitting here so I can hit again. And then it was like uh, uh, a couple of hitters before me. So I'm, I'm taking swings in the uh, clubhouse, and the clubhouse is so small, you know, I don't know if I was hitting anything or what, and I would get hit again. And I remember I uh, grounded out or lined out or whatever, and then I did the same thing. I went up to... Uh, uh, the clubhouse, and then the next time I got up, I got a base So, I mean, and then after the ball game was over with, I never won't forget, we lost 15 to 5. Bell was struggling. We come back, come up with Lauderdale, it's like 85, 90 degrees, and you cut the ball, so it's 30 degrees, and everybody was dying, of course. Everybody wanted to get the game with quick. So, you know, I, I come back to the clubhouse. And there was like 40, 50 reporters around me. And, and you know, the, the ball players, the other guys in the team, was looking at me and said, what did this guy do? And they started asking me about being the DA. I said, I have no idea. I said, I just got up with that, trying to, you know, driving a few runs. Unfortunately, we lost. 
And then Morning Joe runs down from the uh, uh, from upstairs, and he said that uh, uh, the Hall of Fame won in the baseball bat. And I said, baby, I'm not going to give you my baseball bat because back then they just gave us like 10, 15, no, they gave us like 12 bats. And that's all the bats we had for the month. It's not like now we have like two, 300 bats, and they can just give them away to people. So, you know, I did more than that. My bats came into Boston. I looked at the bats. This was a great bat. It's going to, you know, have like 40, 50 hits for me. I'm going to hit 300. He said, no, we got to give it to the Hall of Fame. I said, Morgan, this uh, baseball bat I used to the game. Like that. He said, well, you got to use another one. So he took my bat and he gave it to uh, uh, to the Hall of Fame. And uh, now I'm in the Hall of Fame the wrong way rather than the wrong way. But I got all my stuff, you know, the balls in it. I think they got my jersey, uh, the baseball bat. So to this day, uh, all my friends are going to the Hall of Fame, and so many people write to me, well, I saw your display and Cooper step. And I said, thank you. And then it kept on evolving another year, another year, and then the fifth year, and then the tenth year, and the 25th year, and then Sports Illustrated wanted to do uh, a major feature on me about 10 years ago. And, and now in five years, it'll be 50 years. And now, finally, we got somebody in the Hall of Fame, and now I'm a home baseball player now. I hope, hope that both leagues will, uh, leagues will adopt it and make it uh, a great position. I love the position. There's going to be quite a few more DHs in the Hall of Fame. I screwed up the game in 73, and I feel like I still screwed it up, but now I'm a football player. The irony for Bloomberg is that one benefit of instituting the DH was that it helps protect players with injuries and gives them a chance for a longer career. Bloomberg's career was cut short by injuries long before the DH took its full importance. He plays last game at age 30 in 1978. While there's still plenty of debate about how to evaluate the DH against the position player at MVP time every year, what Ronnie said is true. They are whole players, not half ones. I don't think there will be a long run of closers and DHs now entering the hall, but the best of the best now have and will continue to have their place in the game and in the Hall of Fame. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.